Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. It is Sunday, December 30th, 2023. On Friday, South Africa filed a case in the International Court of Justice accusing Israel of committing genocide against Palestinians in Gaza. South Africa is asking the UN court to issue an urgent order to stop the Israeli military campaign. A total of 21,672 Palestinians have been killed and 56,165 have been wounded in Israeli strikes in Gaza since October 7th. Palestinian health officials say 200 people in the Strip have been killed in the last 24 hours. Here's more from Sky News. The border town of Rafa, now a city of tents. Almost everyone in Gaza is displaced and more than 21,000 people have been killed. Three months ago, Gaza's children went to school. Today, they pick through rubble. Whoever evacuates a place is better off just staying because they're liars. They ask you to evacuate and send you to an area. And after many families gather there, they hit you. They're not hitting two people, they hit 20 and 30 people. Israel says it's trying to keep civilians safe, but every day it's carnage. And South Africa has now stepped up the pressure. It's asked the International Court of Justice for an urgent order declaring Israel has breached its obligations under the Genocide Convention. South Africa's court application says Israel's acts are genocidal in character, intended to bring about the destruction of a substantial part of the Palestinian national, racial and ethnical group. Israel has rejected the claim, calling it blood libel. In a statement it said, South Africa's claim lacks both a factual and a legal basis and constitutes despicable and contemptuous exploitation of the court. The relationship between Israel and the UN and South Africa has hit an all-time low. Israel accuses the UN of bias and of being overly critical. Meanwhile, South Africa compares the plight of Palestinians to that of black South Africans living under apartheid. Nicole Johnston, Sky News, Jerusalem. Ross Siegel, an Israeli historian at Stockton University, explains that genocide is indeed what is happening in Gaza. He spoke with the Counterpoint News Channel. A lot of lay people who uh, hear the claim that Israel is uh, carrying out a genocidal attack often respond by saying that's, that's wildly inflammatory. Uh, it, does a, it, it does a disservice to the memory of, of the Holocaust. Uh, what are some, what does that critique get wrong? What are some misconceptions about what genocide is? Yeah, well, there's a, one of the misconceptions about genocide is that it's about uh, killing um, all the targeted, uh, all the members, all the members of the targeted group uh, immediately or very quickly. And that's how genocide is supposed to look like. Now, this is a, this is just actually wrong. The only way that we can actually think about uh, genocide is according to the UN Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide from December 
1948, and we'll come back to that in a second. But I, it's important to mention that uh, this misconception about what genocide is is also based on a misconception of actually what the Holocaust was, because this, this misconception is basically based on the idea that genocide is supposed to look like the Holocaust. And for many people, the Holocaust is about just the Nazis killing all the Jews immediately, which was not the case. The Holocaust, actually, when you really look at the history of the Holocaust, it shows us that genocide is a process. The Holocaust was a process. And the process involved two and a half years, actually, of the Nazis attacking Jews, uh, uh, including killing Jews, uh, uh, but various forms of mass violence against Jews, and experimenting mostly with forced displacement, with what we call more commonly, quote, ethnic cleansing, right? That is pushing uh, uh, as many Jews as possible out of German controlled territories, expanding German controlled territories during the war. So from the fall of 1939, for two and a half years until the spring of 1942, this process of ethnic cleansing intensified in various ways in the context, primarily in the context of the war, so that by the spring of 1942, the Germans arrive at their final version of quote, this final solution of the German of the Jewish question, that is to kill every Jew within German reach. But it takes two and a half years. Uh, it involves many other forms of mass violence, ghettoization, starvation, forced labor, but again, mostly forced displacement, ethnic cleansing. Um, so it's important to say that this misconception about what genocide is, is actually rooted in a misconception of what the Holocaust was. Uh, but when we look at the convention, at the UN Genocide Convention, uh, um, it's also important to say that in international law, by the way, there is no hierarchy, right? So this popular idea that there's a hierarchy of, of international crimes is simply not true. In international law, there are different crimes with different elements to them. And when we look at genocide, there are indeed a number of elements that differentiate it from other crimes. One of them is intent. So the language of the convention is that genocide is a crime that has intent to destroy a group that's defined in national, ethnic, religious, or racial uh, terms as such, meaning that the members of the group need to be targeted as members of the group, right? And not for any individual reason or for any other reason, right? As members of the group and certainly as the perpetrators imagine their group membership. Um, and, and there needs to be an intent. Now, intent is a very high threshold, right? And uh, that's the reason that we don't have many cases of mass violence since 1948 that are recognized as genocide. We can think about the Rwanda genocide, of course, in all the wars and violence in the former Yugoslavia in the 1990s, only Srebrenica is recognized as an act of genocide, but there's very few. Why? Because perpetrators don't walk around expressing their intent explicitly and clearly. Here, in this case, they do. Again, we can think why this is, why we have such you know, unashamed, clear, explicit, direct statements of intent. That also happened, by the way, it's important to say over time, right? It's not as has been argued just in the first week after the 7th of October, the Hamas-led uh, attack and massacre of about 1,200 uh, uh, Israelis. No, it's over time. And it actually also uses various mechanisms of expressing this intent and also dehumanizing Palestinians, right? So intent is one thing that differentiates um, 
genocide for, from other crimes, but also very importantly in the UN Genocide Convention. So intent is, is explained in Article 2, where genocide is defined in international law, right? And uh, another issue that differentiates genocide from other crimes is the legal obligation in Article 1 that once states recognize that there is a clear risk of genocide or that genocide is already unfolding, but it's enough that there's a clear risk of genocide, right? There's an obligation to intervene, to stop it and to prevent it, which is very different than other crimes in international law. Another issue uh, uh, that again, we can elaborate more on perhaps is incitement, right? Which is again, a different crime in the Genocide Convention, that's Article 3 but related, so incitement to genocide, which usually happens actually in media discourses, but also in political discourses, uh, or in just in uh, sometimes in public uh, uh, spaces in various ways. And it's important to say that um, Israel today and anyone who follows Hebrew language sources, and they're all over social media today and the Israeli media, Israel is, you know, very deeply immersed in a genocidal discourse. We see this in the media, since in the Israeli media since 7th of October. We see this in politics. We see this in public spaces. And I'm talking about, you know, huge signs hanging on the bridges of the Tel Aviv freeway right after the 7th of October, calling to flatten Gaza, to destroy Gaza, uh, written uh, on them directly that the image of triumph would be zero people in Gaza. So very direct, again, very explicit. It does not, you know, you don't need a degree in comparative literature to interpret these uh, uh, kinds of uh, signs and statements. And um, so, but in, in the media discourse and in the political discourse in Israel so after 7th of October, we see clear incitement to genocide, right? Clear, clear incitement to genocide. And all this has been, widely published uh, and we can, you know, I can repeat some of the quotes uh, uh, here if needed, but it's important to say that, you know, one of the cases that comes close to this kind of society immersed in a genocidal discourse perhaps is Rwanda and the Rwanda genocide in 1994 that as the genocide was unfolding, right, we had journalists uh, and radio uh, people inciting uh, for genocide, for the murder of Tutsis in that case. And it's important to say that in the ICTR, in the post-genocide trials, in the case of Rwanda, there was also a media case where journalists indeed stood trial and were convicted for incitement to genocide. So that's another element that actually differentiates genocide from other crimes in international law. And again, we see here, like the issue of intent, mm -hmm. which is an article two and refers to people with what's called command authority in international law. So state leaders, uh, war cabinet ministers and senior army officers. Um, uh, also, their statements are very clear, explicit, and unashamed. Also, incitement in Israel is clear, explicit, and unashamed. I mean, just yesterday or the day before, just to give a recent example, a journalist Tzvi Chaskeli on Channel 13 on the TV in Israel just openly outright uh, uh, said that uh, he thinks that at the beginning Israel made a mistake because it should have, the, the, the Israeli attack on Gaza should have been much more actually violent and severe and it should have killed 100,000 Palestinians, right? Now, 
only the uh, uh, the TV anchor there, you know, said, are you sure that that's what you're saying? There was some exchange between them, you know, is this, uh, all the other people there sitting uh, 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 had nothing to say. And the official response of Channel 13 of the Israeli TV to that was that it's, you know, that we're just expressing the plurality of, you know, positions in Israeli society, right? So this is outright unashamed, right? Uh, it's very common today, it's in Israel. Uh, and it's something I think we should all be paying attention to. Rin, I want to pick up on that point because, uh, and I definitely don't mean this as a leading question, I'm genuinely curious, a lot of people in Israel are afraid that they live amongst other countries where it's not safe to be Jewish and where people engage in, uh, by you know, this definition of, of genocide, arguably a genocidal discourse. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that, not to suggest that there's any justification for, you know, sort of apples to apples in terms of military operations or anything like that. But is Hamas engaged in genocidal intentionality? Uh, are they engaged in genocidal discourse? I know they're not a state actor in the same way. And maybe that's a sort of difference by the UN definition. I'm curious about that. But also countries like Iran and um, the way that they approach you know, just Jewish people uh, who, who live around the world, who live in Israel. Does that, by the definition, the UN definition in 1948, does that sort of fit into it? How, do, how should we think about the way they discuss Jews? Well, I think it's important to to explain also that uh, the, the UN definition um, uh, requires five acts, right? It lists five acts that are considered uh, um, genocide. So there's intent, there's the dynamics uh, on the ground, but uh, um, it's not directly in the convention, but it's very clear that genocide also requires capacity to carry it out, right? Um, and if you don't have uh, uh, um, that capacity, so it's not, intent itself is not enough, right? You have to show the dynamics of violence on the ground in order to show genocide. And I think that in Israel's attack on Gaza now, we have, you know, uh, uh, enough uh, evidence uh, so far that the attack, as many experts now have said, uh, uh, is unprecedented in its intensity and its levels of killing and destruction, unprecedented that is since World War II, right? Um, uh, we have, as you said at the beginning, more than 20,000 Palestinians who have been killed so far. Um, I mean, the north of Gaza is basically destroyed completely. And it's important to say that Israel's attack targets everything there, schools, mosques, universities, churches, agricultural fields, right? Israel has bombed from the beginning uh, agricultural fields where there is nothing there except agricultural fields, which tells us something, of course, uh, uh, about the intention uh, uh, of the attack, the levels of destruction, more than half of all the buildings in Gaza have been destroyed. The infrastructure have been destroyed. More than 2 million Palestinians have been forcibly displaced, right? Uh, um, uh, specific groups are targeted, right? Journalists, as we know very clearly, uh, uh, are targeted uh, 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 at least one or two, but on average, uh, 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 a day so that, you know, so be very hard for Palestinians to actually document the attack against them. Healthcare professionals and doctors are targeted. Hospitals specifically are targeted, which is very, very uh, uh, important when we think about genocide and the total siege uh, uh, policy 
of Israel so deliberately creating conditions uh, of life calculated to bring about the destruction of the group in whole or in part, which is one of the acts of genocide in the convention. Targeting of hospitals shows us that very uh, clearly. But for all of these things, you need capacity, right? And it's clear that the Hamas, uh, uh, Hamas has no capacity uh, to carry out uh, a genocidal assault on Israel. The seventh, it's important to say that the Hamas-led attack on 7th of October was a horrific and horrendous act of uh, mass murder. Uh, it was a massive terrorist attack. It definitely involved war crimes and crimes against humanity that are also ongoing in the sense of hostage taking, right? Uh, there's no doubt about uh, uh, about any of this, but uh, Hamas has no capacity to carry out uh, genocide. And also we don't see in the case of Hamas, uh, this kind of uh, uh, the, the way that intention has been expressed and is being expressed in the case of Israel over time using various mechanisms in an unashamed uh, uh, way we don't see this actually uh, um, in the case of uh, of Hamas. Yes, there are there are some statements in the case of Hamas uh, about destroying uh, Israel. Absolutely, but do we see in a kind of systematic way as we see in Israel's attack, um, together with uh, the dynamics of violence, together with the capacity to carry out a genocidal assault? No, we don't see it in the case of uh, Hamas. It's also very important to mention, by the way that uh, there is a, a military response that is genocidal, right? That is what Israel did after the 7th of October, right? So a military response that is genocidal is illegal in any case under international law, right? Genocide is an illegal response under international law, even if the Hamas attack would be considered genocide. And as I just explained, it cannot actually be considered uh, genocidal. So one of the characteristics, as you mentioned, of uh, re meeting the the kind of genocide threshold uh, is, you know, uh, attacking a an ethnic group, you know, in in whole and destroying them in whole or in part. So what 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 does it mean by in part? Because you know, Hamas's um, attack on October seventh, depending on the definition of in part, would seem to fit just as the IDF's attack on Palestinians in Gaza. Seems to fit with in in part. So what are they, what does in part mean? Especially if you consider, for example, <coughs> Iran potentially funding Hamas in this case. I think that's a, f a fair question, right? Right. Yeah. Well, again, I think you know it's, it's important to, as I just said, that uh, that genocide requires that uh, you have the capacity to carry it out, right? That there is a state capacity to carry it out. And uh, um, there is no such capacity by Hamas, right? That's first. That's firstly. Now, in part, uh, um, that's a good question, and there's um, there's a lot of discussion about this. But I think that uh, uh, we're beyond that in a way, actually, in the case uh, of uh, Gaza, because Israel's uh, aim there the physical destruction of Palestinian society and life in Gaza now is total. The idea, and actually, you know, from the from the very first days, uh, in the 13th of October, there was a document that was leaked by the Israeli intelligence ministry uh, that uh, outlined the 
complete ethnic cleansing, basically, of Palestinians uh, from Gaza. So their removal to the Sinai Desert uh, in Egypt. And of course, there is repeated calls in Israeli politics and society and media, as I said, about, quote, a second Nakba, right? Uh, referring to the 1948 Nakba during the 1948 war when Israel was created and 750,000 Palestinians were expelled. 15,000 Palestinians were victims of massacres. Hundreds of Palestinians, towns and villages were destroyed completely and erased. So the Palestinian Nakba. And then of course, the ongoing Palestinian Nakba since then in various forms of Israeli mass violence and attack against Palestinians, including uh, military occupation, siege, uh, internment, torture, uh, uh, you know, ongoing since then. And now indeed, right, a second Nakba has, has been called for from the 7th of October. And actually, it's important to say that in many cases, the statements about creating a second Nakba are calling for a Nakba that, quote, will overshadow right, the 1948 Nakba, which indeed is what we're seeing actually also in terms of numbers, but in terms of, again, the intensity of the killing and destruction. And so the, the, the destruction that we're now seeing in Gaza, right, and again, there's numerous experts who are telling us that the levels of destruction, this carpet bombing from the sky, from the ground, right, uh, uh, um, uh, the the levels of killing, 20,000, uh, more than 20,000 people, and there are, of course, thousands buried under the rubble in a bit more than two months, right? Um, this takes us now into really, we, we have to uh, understand in the sphere of total destruction of Palestinian society and culture, because also cultural, archaeological sites are bombed, cultural sites are bombed, right? The idea is to destroy and erase, right, Palestinian life and society in Gaza and remove Palestinians from there completely. And this is, again, expressed in various ways in Israeli media and culture and society and public spaces, unashamed, right, this calling for a second Nakba. And as I said, forced displacement, as we're seeing now in Gaza, about two million, so virtually almost all the population in Gaza is forcibly displaced under conditions of total siege, Israel's 9th of October, Israeli Defense Ministry of Guns, total siege proclamation, no food, no water, so starvation policies, there's no clean water. We've seen, we're already seeing the outbreak of infectious disease, right? So deliberately creating conditions of life calculated to bring about the destruction of the group. So forced displacement indeed, as in the Nazi case, by the way, right? In many cases, escalates into basically outright mass murder, right? So genocide. So we're seeing this now unfolding in front of our eyes, but it's also important, by the way, to say that the discourse about deporting millions of people into a desert, which is what we're hearing now in the case of Palestinians and Gaza, deporting them to the Sinai desert, is also should also raise all the alarms that we have because we know historically that deserts have been used as a weapon of genocide historically. We can think about the Armenian genocide, the deportations of the Armenians to the Syrian Iraq desert, right? The massacres on the way, but the idea that they would reach the desert and they would die there, right? We can think about the Herero and Nama genocide in German Southwest Africa in the early 20th century, where the Germans put down, by the way, a rebellion by the colonized Herero 
by chasing them into the desert where they died of starvation and dehydration, right? The, almost all the Herero actually were destroyed. 80% of the group were destroyed in this uh, case of genocide. So I think that in the case of Gaza, we have to be clear, we're actually beyond the in whole or in part, that we are now witnessing, right, the right. destruction of Palestinian life and society in Gaza in whole. And to your, to your point about the infectious diseases, we have new numbers from the Gaza Ministry of Health. It's 355,000 people, which is all, you know, approaching a quarter of the population, are suffering from infectious diseases at this point, and that number is only going to continue to grow. What, but one of the interesting phenomena in this uh, debate over the last two months has been the different way that the war is talked about here in the United States versus Israel. Oftentimes, United States politicians, we had Ted Cruz on here making this claim here that you know, nobody uh, tries harder to protect civilian life uh, than the than the Israelis. Uh, but then you follow the discourse in in Israel, and you don't see those claims being made. You you know you see claims to the opposite that we need you know uh, you know damage is more important than precision, for instance. So I'm curious how that translates when it comes to the question of of genocide. Is, what is the debate like in, in uh, Hebrew language media and Israeli media over the question of, of whether uh, Israel is carrying out uh, a genocidal attack? Does that, does that get discussed? Is it rejected because it's, it's saying now that, that, it's, that that is um, outrageous and can't even be discussed? Or are there people who are saying, you know, you know yes, we are and, and we ought to be because it's justified? No, I mean, we're in Israeli society today, almost in its entirety, is uh, immersed uh, in, in, a, in a very destructive and indeed genocidal uh, discourse. Uh, would, would they agree with that claim? Like, would, would they say, yes, that's what we're, that's where we are? No, of course not. But, you know, it's very important to say, right. historically, perpetrators of genocide and societies that were engaged in the genocidal attack against another group almost always see themselves as the victims, right? The Nazis actually understood themselves to be under acute danger and attack by quote unquote world jury, right? So their attack against the Jews was merely a self-defense, right? Uh, uh, against you know, these evil forces uh, uh, conspiring to destroy Germany and attack them, right? This is a very common me mechanism. The Ottoman authorities in World War One saw them saw the state as under attack by Armenians who are actually agents of the Russian enemies during World War One. So deporting them to the desert was merely an act of self-defense of removing them from the front, front so that they don't collaborate with the Russian enemy. This is a very very typical. And uh, a mechanism of perpetrators and societies immersed in genocidal violence. There's nothing very special here. So, of course, uh, that's what we're seeing. That's what we're hearing now in Israel, that this is basically just, this is really, in Israel, we're actually seeing a heightened uh, 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 sort of this kind of discourse, right? This is actually uh, war in defense of Western civilization, right? This is a war, of course, against Hamas and so on and so forth. Um, but again, uh, uh, so this this would be in the social uh, uh, setting. And I do have to say that there is a minority of people in Israel still very committed to a different kind of discourse, including in the media. So if we think about nine plus nine seven two, the uh, 
a Jewish Palestinian uh, media outlet, uh, which I urge uh, all your listeners and viewers to check it out, Plus 972, uh, definitely publishes continuously a lot of critique, including discussions about uh, the discourse of uh, on related to the issue of uh, uh, of genocide. But the Israeli, you know, media, mainstream media and society, and this cuts across political divides, left, right, center, whatever it is, right, is very immersed in a discourse that this is an this is this is self-defense, right? This genocidal assault is self-defense, even though we have, and again, just yesterday, I think there was an officer. Uh, in the Israeli army that outright in a public event, right, uh, referring actually to a biblical story, which is important because one of the mechanisms of uh, intent was as expressed by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, was the invocation of the biblical story of Amalek, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of the expressions of genocidal intent. So this officer in the Israeli army um, uh, spoke about what his unit did under his command, right, in Gaza as an act of genocidal revenge, basically. He framed it as, you know, the 7th of October attack was a, was a, an attack against the honor of the Israeli nation and his uh, acts in Gaza, his unit uh, reacted in, as genocidal revenge. And he, and he said that this should be extended to all of Gaza. Right to restore this, you know, this uh, uh, the honor uh, of the nation. So even though we have these kinds of things, and of course, actually a lot of videos that Israeli soldiers and officers themselves have taken and posted on social media that mirror the language of intent by people with command authority in Israeli in Israel, and then the language of incitement in Israeli media. So we have soldiers talking about the fact that they understand that they're in Gaza to root out the seed of Amalek. Quote, or soldiers singing that there's the slogan of their unit is there are no innocent civilians, right? Again, explicitly unashamed. We have all of this, right? It's in front of our eyes uh, constantly, right? Or we have soldiers, another, another video that was went very viral on social media, the soldiers burning the truck with food and water in it, right? And explaining as they're doing it, right, that Palestinian children are all terrorists, right, for example. So 1.1 people, a million people in Gaza under the age of 18, right? All terrorists, right? No innocent civilians. All these things, even though we have all of this, right? We still have a, a discourse, which is basically a denialist discourse. And this is again, very common. States and societies engaged in genocide usually deny it already as it's unfolding. They also deny it later, but the denial starts as the genocide unfolds. So even though we have these now, we live in this media age, in the social media age, even though everything is in our face, right? We're still in this common mechanism of denying what is in our face. We should start facing this reality. And my last question just kind of goes back to what we were talking about initially, the disconnect between the reality of the UN definition that was established in 1948 and how a lot of people look back or compare uh, contemporary genocides unfolding in front of their eyes to, for example, the Holocaust and even misconceptions about the Holocaust that have sort of been passed down through simplified uh, narratives that you know, get taught in, in history class and all of that. There's a not insignificant portion of the Israeli population that is Muslim. 
And I think a lot of people, and probably a lot of people in Israel, who look at you know what they're doing is, is primarily self-defense, to your point, uh, would say, well, that's kind of the difference here is that you know we're not trying to eliminate our own Muslim population outside of these contested territories, outside of uh, Gaza and the West Bank. We you know, protect, uh, and we could have a whole conversation about the difference in rights between uh, Muslim Israelis and Jewish Israelis, but uh, the bottom line is that question of eliminating the sort of lives of uh, Muslims who live in Israel. Is that part of the disconnect here that the, the UN definition um, functions in a different way than a lot of people who, who maybe are in Israel or defend Israel here in the U.S. and say, it's not a, if it were a genocide, Israel would be you know, putting uh, Muslim Israelis in you know, the same, that they would be attacking them in the same ways. Is that part of this? I think that you're referring, first of all, to Israeli Palestinians, and there are there is a, a not insignificant part of Israeli Palestinians who are Christians, not only Muslims. That's uh, absolutely it, true. Yeah, Israel, by the way, has completely destroyed the Christian community in Gaza as well in this attack. It's another absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Know. Uh, so you're talking about Palestinian citizens of Israel. That's what you're talking about. Almost two million uh, people. Um, so again, it's important to say that genocide is a process. And what we're seeing now, this process of, atta of the attack in Gaza, and the, and especially in the frame of incitement, the acute incitement in Israel, it's definitely part of the Genocide Convention is a convention on the prevention and punishment of the crime of genocide. If we think about prevention, yes, Palestinian Israelis are in grave danger now. And we see it, by the way, in the West Bank with an unbelievable intensified attack. In, the, in any case, 2023, even before the 7th of October, by the way, was the most lethal year for Palestinians in the West Bank, right? Hamas does not control the West Bank, by the way, right? We still see unbelievable ethnic cleansing in the West Bank. I mean, Area C, which is 60% of the West Bank is basically all of it is now under uh, uh, Israel settler uh, uh, control and full of Israeli settlements, right? Uh, Israel has killed now hundreds of Palestinians only since the 7th of October. There's also hundreds in the West Bank and East Jerusalem have been killed before the 7th of October in 2023, but hundreds, uh, thousands have been arrested, 16 whole communities and probably more have been completely forcibly displaced in the West Bank since the 7th of October. Again, no Hamas, right? So, uh, um, so in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, we definitely see a very quickly escalating right violence, which was already intense against Palestinians. That's one thing. If we think about genocide as the process that it always is, also in the case of the Holocaust, but with Israeli-Palestinians, we also see very, very worrying uh, signs. So just a couple of minutes on this, because you asked, and it's actually very, very, very important. We have to remember that historically, the 156,000 Palestinians who survived the Nakba and remained within what became Israel in 1948 were immediately placed under military rule until 1966. So almost 20 years of military rule, that is, they were immediately seen as potential enemies, basically, and the most, the most dangerous kind of enemies because the enemies within right? Like Armenians in the Ottoman Empire during World War I in that sense. Now, this is very important because in 2018, Israel enacted a basic, a new basic law, the Jewish nation state law. Israel doesn't have a constitution, so basic laws replace a constitution. And that basic law explicitly 
relegated Israeli-Palestinians, so 21% of the citizens of the state, to second-class citizenship within an explicit framework of settler colonialism, by the way. And it's important to say that three years afterwards, in, in May 2021, the events of May 2021, when Israeli-Palestinians came out to protest and in support against Israeli violence in East Jerusalem and the Palestinian neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, but also against yet another attack on Gaza, right? Because in these 16 years of siege of Israel on Gaza before the 7th of October, there were repeated attacks, right? Um, Israeli-Palestinians came out in support. The response of the state this time was unbelievably violent. A lot of violence, a lot of repression across Israel, but this time also Jewish citizens of the state joined the police in attacking Palestinian citizens. In some cases, as in Haifa, even breaking into the houses of Palestinian citizens in Haifa and attacking them in their houses. This is May 2021. So we have the nation state law in 2018. We have this in 2021. We have the background of how the state looks at Palestinian citizens right from the beginning as basically potential enemies. And now we have unbelievable media incitement right against Palestinians as a whole. Right. So, yes, if we think about prevention and if we think genocide is a process, Israeli Palestinians, certainly Palestinians in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem are in grave, grave danger. This in no way uh, makes things better in the case of Israel, as some people might say. Quite the contrary, it makes the urgency of talking about genocide right of forefronting the genocidal assault in Gaza in order to think about, as I said, incitement, the obligation to intervene and to prevent, right? And what's going on in the West Bank and East Jerusalem and what well, is going and on. And that, that actually leads, that leads to my last question, uh, which is what does it matter um, if, we, if we determine that what we're seeing is a genocidal assault? What are the international mechanisms that could be deployed you know, to, to prevent it? And what are the uh, mechanisms that can uh, come about to provide some measure of accountability uh, if there are either? Yeah, so I mean, it matters. Uh, uh, it matters greatly because, as I said, there's an obligation to intervene and prevent. So it matters in terms of arms deals because actually states that continue to provide arms to uh, uh, Israel, so all the Western powers that continue to support Israel, are actually, uh, if we recognize the crime of genocide, right, uh, uh, are actually working against their legal obligations in the convention. Uh, of course, not to uh, aid and abet genocide, but they're actually supposed to be uh, uh, working to prevent uh, uh, genocide. And then if we think about the international legal framework, right, of course, there's issues of accountability. That's not only for genocide, by the way, that's for the very well-documented war crimes now in this case and crimes against humanity. And yes, should the Hamas perpetrators and planners for the 7th of October should be put on trial as well? Absolutely. International law should apply to everyone but should apply to everyone, right? So also to the many, many Israelis now involved in Israel's genocidal attack uh, on Gaza. So there are definitely very important implications, right? In terms of prevention, in terms of stopping the violence, in terms of holding the perpetrators accountable. And then also in terms of thinking how we got to the 7th of October, right? So the, as I said, the larger context of Israeli mass violence from the 1948 Nakba until today, Israeli settler colonialism, and how we move forward, right, from here. All this is also uh, uh, very important. That was historian Raz Siegel. I'm Kent Garrett. It is Saturday, December 30th.